Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Uh, thank you for uh, finding your way this morning. Uh, I know this is uh, kind of a spread adventure this morning getting to church, right? Uh, uh, from the top there, glad you're here. I, I'm sure there's a few more that are still trying to find their way. I hope people aren't discouraged and heading back. But uh, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're joining us online, trying to get here, driving here still, and you're in your car, uh, then uh, just come, please come into the top here. There's a little roundabout over there by <clears throat> Parliament. The, the top entrance is the only way to get in today, so we'd still love for you to come. Uh, we're not closed for service today, so please come. Glad to have you. And online, if you're online this morning, we're glad you're here. We have been, over the last uh, weeks and months, uh, been trying as a church to look at the uh, demands of Jesus, uh, the commands of Christ uh, for being his disciple, what God expects of us. And we've been looking at uh, a lot of different topics. Uh, we've looked at uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart uh, and uh, the idea of forgiveness. We've lo looked at so many different issues about the, the, the expectations of Jesus for his followers. Um, based on this idea that uh, as we make disciples, we're teaching people to observe everything that Jesus Christ has commanded. And we're trying to go through very specifically looking at every single command of Christ uh, that we see in Scripture. And uh, this morning, I am proud uh, to talk about the issue of pride. Uh, and uh, I just want you to know that I am most qualified for this because I'm... Uh, I'd like to boast for a moment just to share with you this morning how, how qualified I am to speak on this topic. Uh, I'm probably the most qualified. I probably know more about pride than anyone else uh, in this room. And with great humility, I, I just want to express it. I had a conversation with my parents yesterday who are uh, some of my greatest fans. My parents absolutely love me. I don't know why, but they do. Uh, they just continue. They want to hear every sermon I do. They want to be part of my life. And so my dad was asking me, what, what's, what's happening tomorrow at church? Are you preaching? I said, yeah, I'm, actually, I'm preaching. And he said, well, great. He, he wanted to hear my sermon. And he wanted to figure out how he could hear it. And uh, he said, what's your topic? And what's your passage you're preaching on? And I told him. And I said, pride. Oh, pride. And I said, yeah, dad, I am most qualified. Uh, and he laughed. Um, in agreement. He said, yes, Brian, you are uh, the most prideful person. <laughs> It was fun talking to them because you realize this topic of pride is a very difficult topic for all of us. We all struggle with pride. There's not a there's not probably a moment in your life that that pride is not one of your greatest temptations. And and very often uh, uh, we, as we deal with the issue of pride, are not even aware that we're operating out of pride. Uh, it, it's just such a part of our lives now that it becomes our culture, our world. And uh, I think it's important that we look at this. Uh, Jesus very specifically said, humble yourself, which is a mandate. Uh, it's not something, it is something we pray for. Yes, we prayed for it actually this morning. But it, we need to see this more from the perspective of that this is a command of Christ, that this is something that we need to initiate. We need to humble ourselves. The command of Jesus is humble yourself, and when we do so, we will then be exalted. There's so much that we can highlight <clears throat> as the main problem in our world today. Uh, you can, if I ask any one of you, please name the greatest problem we have today in the world, and you can just spit them off. You know exactly what our problem is. Here's a few that I think we 
probably our, our go-to, uh, and that is the economy. We think, oh, there's a problem with the economy. We just got to fix our economy. Uh, there's a problem with politics. A lot of us are into, we feel like there's just not enough equality or equity. Uh, there's a, you know, every, nothing is, is fair. Uh, the other issue is possibly that we believe the greatest problem in the world today is racism. And we have put ourselves on a mission to, to, to solve racism and other issues of injustice. And granted, these are real issues and problems. No question about it. But at their core, most every problem that we deal with in the world today uh, for the most part, can be traced back to the issue of self-love, pride. Uh, I want to just, this verse is already up here for you, um, 2 Timothy verses 3, 1 through 5. This is how Paul, the Apostle Paul, spoke about the problems in our world today. And he, he narrows it down to this issue. Basically, the bottom line is that we love ourselves instead of loving God. We are full of ourselves instead of full of God. Uh, let me just read for you. And if you want to read along with me, you're more than welcome to. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Let me just pause there. I think we can all agree that we are seeing terrible times in our world today, and we've, we, we've maybe personally experienced terrible times. Why, why are we experiencing terrible times? Why are there terrible times in the last days? Verse 2, people will be, say it with me if you don't mind, will be lovers of themselves. Wow. Lovers of money, boastful proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. That, that last line is, is, is incredible. Basically, we, we go to church, we look like we're religious, but we totally deny and disrespect the one that the service is supposed to be about. Self-love. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Is it just me? Or do you agree? It seems like we're in the last days. We, we are at, a, at an all-time high of celebrating ourselves. We are so full of ourselves more than ever before in history, I think. The self-love and pride are at a whole new level. Maybe our biggest problem is, is not racism. And maybe our biggest problem is not equity. Maybe our biggest problem is that we love ourselves, pride. Uh, I think all of us are aware of what is being celebrated throughout the world uh, this month. Well, last month, the month of June, we just finished the celebration. I, I actually did not celebrate this, but uh, this, this Pride Month, are you aware of this? When we posted uh, the, uh, the topic for today on, <laughs> on Facebook, uh, we went back and said, wait a minute, uh, <laughs> the top, <laughs> and we had to correct that. Anyway, uh, realizing that we're not, uh, today's sermon is not about death. But if you're, if you're a victim of racism, inequality, or injustice of any kind, um, your worst possible response to that would be to do exactly what has been done to you. In other words, to elevate your race or your gender higher than someone else's to justify hate or violence because you feel it's finally our day in the sun, uh, you're, you're better than someone else, or that no one's going to be the boss of you is never an answer. Uh, in June, uh, the people celebrated uh, their, their sexual orientation. 
And the whole point of that is to be proud of your sexual orientation. That was the whole, the whole context and whole emphasis of last month for so many people. I'm pretty sure that celebrating and being proud of how and with whom we have sex is, is not a healthy way to deal with these real issues in the world today. Most of our serious problems in our world today would be solved if we approach this world and each other with humility. Most, if not all, sin has its root in self-love. The, the root of racism, the, the root of injustice is actually pride. It's I love my skin, I love me more than I love you. More, I elevate me over you. That's, that's racism and that's, that's pride. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be what? If we want to be elevated, the, the best path is humility. Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus said again, Blessed are the who in spirit? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The brother of Jesus, James, wrote this in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. I love this. He, he gives grace generously, as the scripture says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? The humble. The humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. We want to be elevated. We want to be recognized. We want to be noticed because for many of us, we've been victimized. We've had just the opposite of this. We've not been respected. The, the key to, to this place of honor, this place of dignity comes as we humble ourselves before the Lord are invited to actually have this status and honor as we humble ourselves before the Lord. And just a, just a little caveat here as we continue this morning about mandates, about demands. Now we're talking about the demands of Jesus, right? We've listed a bunch of these throughout the last weeks and months. Uh, very often we, we, we pray for the very thing that God is asking us to do. And I'm not suggesting those prayers are, are misdirected, but I, I do think it's important that we understand that God is commanding this of us. This is a demand. Um, let me give you some examples of how this may play out for you. The command of go make disciples of all nations. We ask God to make disciples very often in our prayer. Yeah, but he is actually telling us to go make disciples. We're asked in scripture to actually pray that God would draw people to himself but we never are exempt from the command of Christ to actually be the voice, the ambassadors for his word. So uh, the, the gentle reminder this morning as we keep going is that God commands us and then we step. When we step to obey him, he empowers, he counsels, he loves us, he directs us in every step that we take, but we do not sit back 
and do nothing and ask God to do the very thing he's asked us to do. Do we understand each other a little bit there? I'd love to talk to you more about this idea if you want to later. But this is an interesting aspect. Very often we ask God to do the very thing he's asked us to do. And he's already promised his power and his, and his direction and his love and his counsel. But he is commanding us nevertheless to do it. Uh, several years ago, actually many years ago, um, we, we had a person in our church who was a bit divisive. And I did not want to speak to this person uh, to tell him, please stop being so divisive. And uh, I was rather complaining uh, to God about this individual in our church. This is years ago, by the way. There's, he's not here. Don't worry. Uh, if you're looking around, who was that? No, no. Yeah, was it me? No, it wasn't you. Yeah. But I was really, really bothered by this and really broken before. I said, God, what do I do? Oh, this person. Oh, just, I mean, praise the Lord. He, he has a big ear. God hears us. And uh, as I prayed and talked to God about it, God said to me, who's the pastor of the church? And I said, uh, you know, me? And God said very clearly to me, well, then pastor. Do your job. I said, okay. And, <laughs> and Jesus so clearly said to me, and I'll be with you. Go, be the pastor, do your job. Sure enough, God sorted everything out as I confronted this issue. But I had to step up. I had to step up. God had asked me to, to lead. And he was going to empower me and direct me and so forth. So as we talk about issues of pride, um, this command of, of humble yourself, uh, although I, I would recommend that you ask God to, you know, for humility. There's nothing wrong with that. But rather, uh, I, I would ask you then to actually step up and humble yourself and trust the Lord to empower you uh, as you take those steps of humility. Uh, it, it's a command of Christ. We can identify pride by what comes out of us, right? Uh, pride uh, expresses itself in different ways. And I, I'm going to give you two examples of this this morning. Uh, one is boasting. I think we're pretty familiar with that, right? I'm so good. I'm so good looking. You know, boasting, that's boasting. And self-pity. Self-pity is another form of pride. Feeling sorry for yourself. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I have achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I've sacrificed so much. Everybody with me? You're feeling sorry for yourself this morning. Sorry, it's over. No, no. <laughs> Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Possibly you've been victimized this morning and you've fallen sorry for yourself. And, uh, you know, you're, you might think you're a hero because you've suffered so much and you're proud of that. Boasting sounds self-sufficient. Self-pity sounds like self-sacrifice. The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego. And the desire is not really for others to see them as helpless, but as heroes. The need that self-pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded pride. And I'd just like to give a shout out to Suzette Petersa this morning, who's listening online, uh, who laughs through her pain. 
she deals with physiological pain every day of her life, and she chooses to deal with it without feeling sorry for herself. And so kudos to Suzette Pietisa, one of the most humble people I know. Uh, Jesus dissects the depths of pride. He exposes its multiple layers and manifestations. At the bottom of, of pride is a, a, a complex disposition of, of possibly, I think these three areas is probably more, pride is very complex, more complex than I'm able to understand fully because I deal with it constantly. But these three areas, uh, this idea of self-rule, that somehow we are the boss of ourselves instead of God. We it's this defiance for the authority of God, the authority of anyone else. Basically, it's a statement that you are not the boss of me. At its core, root, pride is saying you're not the boss of me. No one is. No one's the boss of me. I think another, at another core level is this idea that, that for whatever reason, because I've been victimized or for whatever, whatever's got me to this place, I believe that somehow I am better than you and that I deserve your respect, that I'm entitled uh, to be placed and respected in a way that is more so than you. I'm better than you. I deserve to be respected, this idea of merit. And it's the sense that we deserve something from God, that somehow we are worthy of God's love. Actually, we're not, but somehow we deserve this, this respect. Now, Jesus respects us. He loves us, but this idea that we feel like we deserve it, that somehow I'm better than you, this is a problem. And then finally, this, this craving for the praise of others, this praising of man, with this idea that I will have my day in the sun. And I think pride manifests itself in, in these ways of defiance to authority, defiance to God, this idea that somehow I deserve something more than you deserve, or I deserve, you know, I deserve a place of honor and position. And also, too, this idea that somehow I, I need to have the praise of men and attention. I need to be popular. If, if you look at our world today, you see this manifestation in so many areas of society and culture of this defiance of any kind of authority, uh, this feeling I deserve. I deserve more respect and attention now. My voice is more important than your voice. And I'm going to have my day. You've had your day, now I'm going to have my day in the sun. I will have the praise of men. This idea of pride is self-rule, this defiance. You're not the boss of me. You can see this. Jesus, what Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 10. He says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, what do we say? We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And somehow we want attention for those things uh, that we're doing out of obedience to Christ that are uh, simply a command. We think we've done something special if we've obeyed God. Uh, and yet that was God's expectation of us. And we want everyone to notice how we have obeyed God. Matter of fact, man, look how I've obeyed God more than anyone else. This is pride. Luke 20, verse 46 and 47, Beware of the scribes who, who, who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. They'll receive the greater condemnation. A perfectly obedient human should say it would be part of his obedience. I am an unworthy servant. That is, I do not put you in any absolute sense in debt to reward me. 
this conviction is the root of humility, and we deserve nothing good from God. Or to put it positively, like the, like the brokenhearted tax collector, everything good that we get from God is mercy. It's undeserved. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, Luke 18 uh, sort of details this parable of Jesus that explains this idea in, in more detail. I think it'll help us this morning. Let's look at Luke 18, uh, verse 9. It says this, uh, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Okay, let me read that again. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So he's telling this story. He's telling people who believe they were more holy than everyone else, that somehow they had arrived at righteousness better than everyone else. Pride, they were proud of their piousness, uh, you know, proud of how holy they are. In the meantime, full of pride. Um, it's the idea, I think I'm better than you, I'm more holy, etc. And And this is his pleasure in feeling superior to others. Uh, is the idea here. And that's why Jesus told the story. He said, you're pleased with the fact that you are better than everybody else. So he tells the story in verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. This is hilarious to me. Every time I read this, it makes me smile. I thank you, God, that I am like, not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. <laughs> Have you ever prayed a prayer like that ever in your life? Uh, I, I think I have. I'm pretty sure I have at some point. I thought, thank you, God, that I have not sinned in that way. I mean, look at them. You know, if I haven't prayed it, I've actually thought it. You know, oh, gosh, praise God that I have not been a sinner like that person. Uh, You've been that way? That's pride. That's pride. Luke tells us why he told the parable of the boasting Pharisee and the broken tax collector. Uh, it's a sense, there's a difference between a humble delight in becoming a better person by God's grace and a proud delight in being able to see yourself as superior than others. There's, there's, there's a delight that we can have by saying, oh God, thank you for cleansing me. Oh, thank you God that you've kept me pure. Yes. But then there's this pride that says, well, but not only have you kept me pure, but I'm actually more pure than anyone else in the room. You've actually done more for me than you've done for anyone else. Pride does not delight in growing holiness, but in growing ability to feel superior. That's what pride does. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at the distance and dared even not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love Paul's approach to this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in what? Weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Several years ago, I was invited to speak at an assembly service at Delta Secondary School. I was doing their opening uh, for one of their terms. And uh, I would, uh, was always invited to go by the headmaster. And I would go and I would speak maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, it would usually be a devotional topic, a story, uh, uh, one devotional point. 
and then I would be done. And uh, I'd done this for years and years and many, many times at different schools, and so I was pretty confident that I could pull this one off too, so um, pride. And uh, so I got to the school, and uh, with not having prayed, I had prepared, but I had not even, in one moment, in, in no way had I was depending on God to present my devotion. I got this. I got it. I'm telling you, I fell flat on my face that morning. It was one of the most humbling uh, experiences of my life because everything went out and dropped. And after I, it dropped, it didn't get to the students, it just dropped. Afterwards, in conversations with God, God made it very clear to me, you think you actually have any impact whatsoever in anyone's heart without me? I said, uh, I, I, I will, I will try not to ever do that again, God. And even this morning as I'm speaking to you, I, I, I have to be aware of the fact that everything I'm saying, if it's going to have any impact on your life, it's only something God can do, not anything I can in, in my speaking. The pride is always waiting at the door, just waiting to sneak in. We must operate out of humility. And we must, we must choose this. A lot of these manifestations of pride are not so obvious. Uh, a person can be passively, passively defiant uh, while avoiding blatant rebellion, and yet deeply committed to ultimate self-determination. In, in other words, a person can be just... You know, acting like they're not defiant whatsoever, but very passively defiant, passively resistant to any kind of authority, knowing that I'm going to get my way no matter how I do it, but I'm going to do it very, very calm and act like I'm very humbly getting my way, but I'm going to get my way. And I'm going to figure out whatever way passively to make sure that I get my way. Or a person can seem to feel unworthy by constantly deprecating himself in public. There are people who are consistently, constantly insulting themselves when they're speaking to others, but all the while angry that others do not recognize them for who they think that they are. I've done that. I've very much insulted myself, but thinking, you know, I really wish you would, you know, respect me for who I am. Right now, our greatest temptation is to think that of others who act this way, that we have a choice today whether to focus on, our, on others or ourselves. One of the, the third expressions of, of pride is this idea that I'll have my day in the sun. And we, we do this in so many different ways. We, uh, we can express and be proud of ourselves in what we own, our people we have authority over. So by accumulation of wealth and authority, and we're, we're proud of that, we, we like to boast about that. Look what I was able to buy. Uh, look who I'm in charge of. So basically, we're proud of our jobs. We're proud of how much money we're making, authority and power. Our delight, uh, we delight in the fact that we have superior authority and power over other people and that we have more money than others. There are a hundred ways pride positions itself to get this praise of men. It may involve where you sit at a meeting. Um, how many of you go for the head of the table whenever you're at a, at a, at a meeting? Uh, you know, we, we know where people are supposed to sit uh, in, in our culture, and very often we, we go for those positions. Just a recommendation for you, um, uh, one tip on humbling yourself is that if you know that there's a, there's a seat at a table that's supposed to be the place of honor, don't sit there. Even if you're supposed to be there, go sit 
at a lower place and let them call you up to sit in that place. We're invited. There's so many different temptations for us. Pride is driven by the desire to be honored by men and places and titles. I'll have my day in the sun. And however we want to do it. Matthew 6 talks about this. Watch out. Uh, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. See what I've done. See how I've given so much to the poor. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. I want to pray. I want to pray in church. I want to pray in front of everyone. There's nothing wrong with praying in front of everyone. We should pray more. But our motivation. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. We just came through the month of fasting in February, not just, but month of February. And one of our instructions from Dana, she spoke to us was just to make sure that you know you don't advertise to the whole world that you're fasting uh, to get attention to yourself. That it defeats the whole purpose. Uh, in this passage, it says, when you fast, comb your hair. Uh, not, not for me. Uh, and wash your face. <laughs> I wash my face. No one will notice that you're fasting except the Father. Uh, pride at its core is loveless. Uh, it, it is love of self instead of love of God. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 5. They do the, all their deeds to be seen by others. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Uh, Matthew 20, 23, 4. We see this. Uh, there's, there's two reasons probably why the proud do not really want others to advance beyond them. Uh, that would mean losing one of their reasons for feeling superior. The other reason is that is the proud do not understand the way that God's grace really works to help sinners make progress in holiness without getting proud. They don't lift a finger to show the repentant sinner how Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, Matthew 11.30. It would be easier for these religious people to make you think that their job is very difficult so that you continue to respect them and revere them and lift them up higher. When his reality, God's grace is, is that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Matthew 11, verse 30. When I was putting the sermon together, I began to picture people I knew uh, that behaved in the ways of pride that I've just spoken of. I could identify people. Oh, I can see that. This is how that person is. It dawned on me that I was more guilty than them because while preparing this sermon, I felt superior to others. Pride is right there. <laughs> pride is right there. If when I study pride, I cannot see where I have pride, this is my first indication that I struggle with it. Sort of like if a person who is wondering if he has a spiritual gift of discernment. If you wonder if you have the spiritual gift of discernment, you don't have it. Thank you for getting that joke, some of you. Uh, we should never deny that we struggle with pride because we don't want to add to our sin the sin of lying. Without God's help, it's impossible for anyone to be humble, but God expects us to humble ourselves to choose to put away pride. God is perfectly capable of humbling us. And I would, I would say to you, pray that God would help you with humility, but more importantly, 
I would invite you to ask God to help you to have the power, uh, the ability uh, to humble yourself and to obey his command. God is perfectly capable. Luke 26 says this. Uh, Luke 26, verse 19 and 20. Leviticus, sorry. Leviticus 26, verse 19. I'll break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. Listen, God is more than capable of dealing with our pride. And he says, when we are prideful, he will humble us. He's a promise. He will bring us back to where we need to be. He's commanding us to humble ourselves before him. And when we humble ourselves, what does he do for us? He lifts us up. He exalts us. God is more than capable, more than capable of getting us in the right perspective. Many of us in this room this morning and online, you can tell stories of times when pride got the best of you. And that you discovered in a very sometimes excruciating way what it means to truly have a right perspective of you and God. Humility. I can tell you many stories where God saved my life by humbling me. This morning as we continue, not much longer, but I just want to share with you maybe a few tips, some that I've shared with you before, but how can we actively work on humility? How, does, how do we do this? And this morning, I'm going to give you just, just three ways that I think this is possible. Uh, but to invite yourself into this idea of servanthood, to serve others, very often is step number one in, in creating this humility that you so need. When we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. Uh, this is called the ministry of the mundane. Uh, step one, the ministry of the mundane. Choose to serve people in ways that seem mundane, that seem too, 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 uh, too little for you in your position. Uh, the beginning of understanding this is, is, is truly, uh, possibly for you maybe to serve children, uh, to serve those who are in a lower position than yourself. Uh, I, I love uh, doing YWAP because it, it always, always puts me in right perspective of, of who I am and who I'm not. Uh, kids have a tremendous, beautiful way of reminding you that you're not really that important. <laughs> I've been doing student ministry for, for many, many, many years. And uh, I've rarely been thanked uh, by, by a kid. Uh, but I've been thanked often by kids who've grown up and become adults and realized what, what we did. Uh, kids are just kids. They they want to. They're just please help me, take care of me. That's what kids are. And so when you minister to them, they are not. They're not in a place where they can promote you. Uh, they're not in a place where they can write letters of recommendation for you to other businesses. Uh, it's a great way to to force yourself into humility if you serve children and youth. Uh, it was it was the practice of Jesus. Matthew nineteen verse thirteen. Little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Mark 9 as well, Mark 9, verse 35 and 37. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a child and had him stand among them. 
Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus invites us to the ministry of the mundane, uh, to working and serving those who can do nothing for you. It's a good motivation for you to help the poor that you see on all of our streets here in this city, to those who are underprivileged. Serve people who can do nothing back for you. And, and then you will experience a level of humility that you've maybe not experienced before. Step number two for you this morning, invite you to the ministry of holding your tongue. Let other people speak. James 1, verse 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father ex ex accepts as pure and flawless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Of course, this is the real reason why I married my wife and my kids. My wife, uh, my wife's husband died. If you don't know this, if you're online, you don't know. And uh, she had three kids. And I read this verse. I was trying to decide whether I was going to marry my wife or not, ask her to marry me. And I said, wow, this is the kind of religion that the father accepts. Yeah. Dana, will you, will you marry me? Yeah. Yeah. All jokes aside, yes. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're, we're called to, to this ministry of holding our tongue. And we're called to, to, to listen to others. Um, one of my friends jokes that I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Um, by the way, it's not a spiritual gift, if you're wondering. <laughs> sarcasm. But, <laughs> uh, but I would prefer to have the spiritual gift of service and actually listening to others and caring for others. This is the... Uh, this is this uh, spiritual gift that God is inviting us to to listen. Do you find that in groups you you always have to have your idea taken? If you're in a group like a, a meeting where you're trying to talk about ideas, and you, you must have your idea, your recommendation taken over everyone else's. Not You're not interested in hearing from anyone else. Do you leave conversations not knowing a thing about the other person? Have you had those times where you meet someone brand new and you leave and all of a sudden you realize they know everything about you but you know nothing about them? Has that ever happened to you? How many times in groups are you, taking, are you talking more than everybody else? Well, what makes a person charming is their ability not to talk about themselves but to listen to your story. And uh, I would encourage you, if you're struggling with friendships, by the way, if you feel very alone, Start asking about other people's lives. Uh, actually, go meet someone and, and, and let your expectation to discover them instead of you trying to tell them all about yourself. Listen. The ministry of listening. And then thirdly, the ministry of bearing one another's burdens. Weep with those, uh, weep with those who weep. Or hurt with those who are hurting and help bear their burdens. Romans 15, 1 through 3 says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Begin to, uh, to, to bear the burdens of people who are around you. To share in the suffering with others intentionally. You know, the reality is, as if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a child of God, um, we, we are the recipients of an extraordinary gift from God if, you're, if we're children of God. And that we, we've said, we've accepted this free gift of salvation that comes from God. We've placed faith in Him. We've decided to follow Him and receive this gift of salvation. It's not something we've earned. It's something that's been given to us. Because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, uh, willingly subjected himself in humility to the worst possible punishment of the day, to be crucified on a cross. He put himself, he humbled himself, the Bible tells us, he humbled himself to a place and a position that was totally, completely beneath him. There's no way that any of us can make a case that Jesus deserved to be crucified. But Jesus intentionally placed himself, humbled himself, and accepted death on a cross. So that the sins that we have committed, not the sins that Jesus ever committed, but the sins that we have committed can be forgiven. He bore our burdens. He took on to himself our burdens, our sorrows, our sin, and was crucified on the cross. And his expectation is that as children of God, we would also humble ourselves and that we would bear the burdens of others as well. And that in that humility, we would, we would point them to one who can truly change their life. And that is Christ, only Christ. So we humble ourselves and say, no, 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 I... I'm going to walk with you in this hurt, in this pain, but I'm going to point with my whole being to what Christ has done for us so that your life can also be transformed. He invites us to bear each other's burdens for that so that we can point people to the one who saves, the only one who can change our lives. We're invited to humility, uh, and humility is the place where actually we are then elevated. Uh, humility is the pathway to, to honor. Humility is the pathway to relationship with the Father. Humility is the, is the pathway to, uh, to discovering this free gift that we did, is realizing. It, it causes us to realize our desperate need for a Savior. If we're approaching God, this idea that I don't need anybody's help, uh, we will never, 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 never receive uh, this beautiful gift of salvation that comes only from God. And this morning, uh, you, can, you can say so much before the Father. You can say, well, God, there's, it shouldn't be that easy. It should, this gift should not be so easy that, that somehow um, you just give this to me. What have I done to deserve it? Nothing. You, you are unable in your capacity as a human being uh, to work hard enough to figure this out so that you can be saved. It's not about what you deserve. It's about the grace and compassion of God who humbled himself 
and put himself on the cross. It's something he has done for us, not something we can do for ourselves. And possibly when you realize that, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And, and God is not asking you not to work hard or not to be, you know, not to have capacity, not to, none of that. But God is asking you to realize that you are unable to do anything for yourself. You are unable to make your relationship right with God. It can only be done through him. And therefore, this takes humility on your part to realize I cannot save myself. Only Christ can do this for me. And once, once I become a child of God, then the good things that I do and the capacity and the obedience, all those things come by his empowering. But still, I'm not proud of my, my good works, but I'm, but I'm, I humble myself before the Lord to say, God, you're the one who empowers me and you're the one who directs me. You're the one who guides me. We are invited to humble ourselves before the Lord for salvation, to humble ourselves uh, so that we can actually have success, that we can, we can be okay with ourselves. That respect we've always wanted comes, Jesus loves us and respects us, by the way. That comes from him as we humble ourselves, we discover that what he can only provide. It comes first by humility. Humility. I cannot save myself. And I desperately need him. I desperately need him. Let's pray. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.